With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as uh, simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more know, doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp's software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC terms and conditions apply. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello, 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 everyone. I'm Rob Wolf, and welcome to episode number 40 of Unformidable, where we take a look at some of the less heralded myths in our beloved franchise's ever-quirky history. As to us, every player who dons the orange and blue is, in their own way, unformidable. So this feels slightly overdue to me, uh, something I thought about in the pandemic, and so much has gotten lost in the pandemic, but... uh, I know, I know we all have favorite Mets. Uh, most of those are players too well-known and too intensely covered for this, uh, this little podcast. But then the Mets are a team uh, more of random players than Hall of Famers and retired numbers. I'm sure we've all latched on to some random players or short-timers who caught our fancy. Now, I started rooting for the Mets when they were terrible, which I do wear as a badge of honor back in 1979, but I really don't remember having a particular favorite player then. Perhaps it was 
smiling, ever-optimistic Mr. Met who convinced me to root for the Mets. I don't know. Uh, I remember having some very random favorite players, uh, Bob Baylor for some reason, uh, uh, Craig Swan, I guess he did lead the league in ERA. I think QB Brooks was my first real favorite Met uh, for an extended period of time. Although anyone who knows me knows that when a certain mustachioed first baseman came along, my Little League uniform number and position were set for as long as I would play. Uh, but my earliest Met fling, if you will, or one of my first memories of a Met doing something memorable that was positive, is the subject of today's podcast. Uh, sadly, Claudel Washington passed away earlier this summer uh, due to complications in his battle with prostate cancer. Uh, while he was a very different type of ball player, uh, many would probably put him in a Daryl Strawberry category of someone who was so talented and projected as a future Hall of Famer so that his actually impressive career maybe was looked at as a bit of a disappointment. Uh, but Cladell had a lengthy and impressive MLB career, including a brief sojourn with the Mets uh, that probably would have been largely forgettable and probably was for many people, except for one particularly unformidable day. Uh, apparently, the key to my young baseball fan heart was very easy. Uh, just hit three home runs in one game. Claudel Washington would do in his 1980 half season with the New York Mets. But of course, let's first look at the path that eventually led Claudel to uh, intersect ever so briefly with the orange and blue. Uh, Claudel Washington, no middle name, I always like to try and throw that in, but didn't have one apparently, was born on August 31st, 1954 in Los Angeles. He was the oldest of six children. His brother Donald actually uh, played ball for three seasons in the Dodgers and A's organizations uh, while he was in the majors. Uh, his parents divorced after 25 years of marriage, and Claudel moved to Berkeley, California, where he grew up comfortably with his family, very close to his mom. Uh, and he actually didn't really play baseball until he was 11, uh, he began playing in like Sandlot leagues as well as the Little League in and around Oakland. Uh, he actually led his Little League team to the Little League World Series, I believe at age 13. But Claudel actually preferred basketball and track, which is what he really excelled at in baseball in uh, in high school. Pardon me. And in fact, he didn't even play baseball in his high school at, at Berkeley. Uh, he, you know, just did little leagues and played, according to him, quote, because his friends liked to play, uh, and he did find that he had great hand-eye coordination and the game came easily to him, uh, but it wasn't something that he really considered as a future, and of course, as someone who wasn't even playing in baseball in high school, he was not drafted. However, he continued playing in Sandlot Leagues in and around Berkeley after he graduated from high school in 1972. Uh, and he was discovered by a police officer and part-time Oaklandese scout named Jim Ginn, who uh, saw him excelling in, a, in the Sandlots and in a Connie Mack League summer team, uh, while he was also working as a janitor at a lawn sprinkler factory as a post-high school job, uh, when Ginn persuaded the A's director of minor league operations to sign Claudel as an undrafted free agent, uh, he received a $3,000 signing bonus. Washington was immediately signed to low A ball in Portland, I believe, in his organization, in the Northwest League, where he had the fortune to have a manager he considered to be an early mentor, 
Grover Reisinger, who he credited with helping him with all aspects of the game, his hitting, his fielding, his base running. And uh, Washington took those lessons uh, to heart. At age 18 and 19, he tore through high A ball and then double A Birmingham in particular in 1974. Uh, in the middle of the year in AA, at age 19, he's, he was slashing 361 batting average, 404 on base, 571 slugging, with 33 stolen bases through 74 games. So even the two-time defending world champion Oakland A's, coming off an unfortunate seven-game World Series victory over our beloved Mets, uh, even, even a two-time World Series champion dynasty could find room for a player like that. The team, due to injuries, had a need for a left-handed bat slash DH during the 74 season, and you could imagine owner Charlie Finley relishing the idea of bringing a young phenom up to the majors. So Claudel Washington got the call to the major leagues at the tender age of 19. When I leave Birmingham, Washington told his teammates, I'm never coming back. And he was true to his word never appearing in the minors again, as far as I can see, not even for a you know injury rehab assignment or anything. Uh, he would embark on a 17-year major league career two years earlier than the initial goal he set for himself when he signed of reaching the major leagues by age 21. He made his major league debut on July 5th, 1974, just shy of turning 20, the 11,116th player in MLB history when he made a pinch-hitting appearance in the bottom of the eighth of a 6 nothing A's lead and flew out to left field. But as you might imagine, for someone that young to get called up to such a good team and not get sent back down, Washington would indeed make a quick impression. The A's would lose their next two games to Baltimore before Washington would draw the first start of his major league career at DH in a heavyweight pitching matchup between Vita Blue and Gaylord Perry. Gaylord Perry, who came into the game 15-1 and at the time with a 1.31 ERA, looking to tie a then-American League record with his 16th straight win. Uh, it was big news. It was a sold-out crowd at the Oakland Coliseum. I mean, and, you know, we're talking 1974, so we're not talking 20 straight wins over two and a half seasons and 30 no decisions thrown in. We're talking about 15 wins over 17 starts, 15 of those complete games, and the only non-complete games were two no decisions where Perry went 15 innings and another where he left a tie game after eight and a third. So apparently Perry was cheating better than he ever had before. Um, and a fun side note I learned, uh, and I'll just mention it because it is Met-related, that uh, when I was researching this podcast, is that according to Gaylord Perry's book, the first time he ever threw an illegal pitch in a game was in May 31st, 1964, against the Mets. Uh, he came in to a game that wound up going 23 innings. He took over at the bottom of the 13th and decided that that was the day he was going to work on the spitball that he had been working on for so long and threw 10 scoreless innings to earn a victory in that game. Uh, so so I, I did not know that, perhaps some of you did, that uh, that Perry first, uh, first embarked upon his spitball, according to him, against our beloved Mets as well. But I digress. Um, at any rate, Washington would get the first career hit, uh, first hit of his long career off of the future Hall of Famer, a triple in the eighth inning when he would, where he would be stranded. But later in the game, in the bottom of the tenth inning, 
with two outs. Washington would single home pinch runner Blue Moon Odom with a game-winning hit in the bottom of the 10th inning, walking off the Indians and the future Hall of Famer and making just quite a name for himself in like what was a very marquee matchup uh, very quickly. In fact, Charles Finley gave me $500 bonus after the game just for that uh, walk-off hit. Man, baseball was weird before uh, before free agency, wasn't it? At any rate, teammates raved about his talent, uh, but his rival may have ruffled some feathers in a, if you'll permit me a net analogy, in a Greg Jeffries-ish kind of way. Uh, the A's moved Joe Rudy from left field to first base to make room for Claudel to get more regular playing time. And apparently Reggie Jackson, uh, while he was uh, helpful to the young player, uh, also did not appreciate the the way the attention on the young player took away from the attention on the straw that was obviously stirring the drink. Um, and what would it wound up being a hallmark of his career, Washington wouldn't hit for a lot of power, but he was certainly capable at age 19 hitting for average of 285 over 74 games and showcasing his speed with six stolen bases and five triples. He played well in the LCS, going three for 11 in the A's four-game series victory over the Orioles, and quite well in the World Series, where in sporadic appearances, Washington would go four for seven over five games as the A's beat the Dodgers to take their third World Series championship in a row. In another hallmark of his career, Washington remained calm and nonplussed in the World Series, even at a young age. Asked if he was nervous to appear in the World Series, he replied, not very. I get more excited watching pro basketball games on TV. Uh, In fact, the next season, when he made the first of two career All-Star teams and was asked if it was the greatest thrill of his season, he responded, no, the greatest thrill of my year was watching the movie Jaws, which is a pretty thrilling movie in 1975, but um, at any rate, there were there were definitely pockets of his career where uh, Washington definitely had to live down the underachiever or lackadaisical play labels that were, you know, so often, so, so much more frequently thrown at players of color back then and still today, uh, but that was still to come as uh, Washington actually would have the best year of his career in 1975. Uh, finishing the season second in the AL in steals with 40, fifth in batting average at 308, and fourth in hits with 182. Uh, the A's in Claudel had actually already peaked. It was Washington had his best career major league season at age 20 with a 4.9 B WAR at that age. So, you know, you can also see why some people would consider his career disappointing. On you know, and unfortunate as that is. Uh, and meanwhile, the A's would lose the ALCS to the Red Sox uh, in three straight games as the Reds would win the World Champions in a very memorable World Series and take over from the A's as baseball's reigning dynasty. The A's began to get dismantled by free agency. Uh, Washington would get moved from left field to right field. Uh, his defense would always be considered suspect. Uh, and he wound up settling into something of a fourth outfielder slash platoon player role, uh, particularly for a good team, maybe starter for a second division team. A uh, reputation that would, you know, or a status feeling about his talent level that would follow him for most of the rest of his career. He was traded to the Texas Rangers before the 1977 season, then traded where he struggled with Texas and then was traded to the Chicago White Sox in the middle of the 1978 season. Uh, and his White Sox tenure was probably the nadir of his career, particularly rough. Uh, it started bad as 
Washington was nursing a bad ankle, apparently exacerbated by recreational basketball play. Uh, he took longer than the approved 72 hours to report to Chicago. Uh, the team tried to either rescind the trade or get additional compensation for the, quote, damaged goods that the Rangers sent them. Uh, all that request was denied. Uh, but it seems like they you know, quickly just turned against Washington in Chicago, where he gained... that. Where That's probably where the reputation for lackadaisical play and loafing was really... Uh, initiated by, by the White Sox organization. Uh, Washington, in an interview, said, I never had anything against playing for Chicago. I was depressed at being traded twice in a short time, and I probably didn't come here with a positive attitude. And, of course, we are talking about a 23, 24-year-old man who was traded from his hometown team twice in a couple of years. I can certainly empathize that that would be a very tough situation to be thrust into. Washington actually rebounded to have a pretty decent 1979 season with the White Sox, uh, but the fans had already been turned against him. Uh, signs in Comiskey Park, uh, f- fans brought signs reading, Washington slept here, which they hung in right field, which I have to admit is pretty funny, if uh, unfair, uh, but also apparently throwing firecrackers at him in right field, according to one interview I read, which is uh, absolutely not funny. Uh, But Washington would have one notable game in Chicago on July 14th, 1979, when he would launch three home runs off of three different pitchers in the White Sox 12-4 victory over the Tigers. In an era where player movement was just starting to take off, this would give Washington a chance to add his name to a short, extraordinarily elite list when his purgatory in Comiskey was ended with a midseason trade to our New York Mets in June of 1980. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not uh, as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. So Frank Cashin had just taken over as Team GM in February of 1980 and was beginning an overhaul of a quite moribund franchise. I imagine that the idea of taking a shot on a talented veteran, still only 25 years old, was a worthwhile shot, as well as an effort to just inject some power into a young, not exactly imposing offense. In fact, uh, Lee Mazzilli, the you know, homegrown, budding wannabe star for the that era Mets team, would lead the 1980 team with 16 of the 61 home runs the team would hit that season. Man, baseball was a different game, wasn't it? 15 complete games and 17 starts, 61 home runs for a team in a season. Anyway, 
Washington would make his first appearance for the team on June 11th, striking out as a pinch hitter in a game the Mets would win 6-2 on a 10-inning complete game from Craig Swan. See again, different game. In fact, Washington would go 1-for-17 in his first few games as a Met, struggling to adjust, although that, that one hit was a clutch two-out RBI single in the ninth inning to cut a Met deficit to 6-3 to and help key a five-run ninth inning rally uh, that allowed Steve Henderson to hit a walk-off three-run homer to help allow the Mets to def- defeat the Giants and send them off on a road trip to the West Coast at a surprising 27-28, and 28, which, believe me, was really good for a late 70s, early 80s Met team. So, on, in fact, on that date, the team was uh, six games out of the first, six games out of first behind the first place, then Montreal Expos, only two games behind the future World Series champion of that season, the Philadelphia Phillies, who were 27 and 24. I did not look up the Mets record on every day of that season, but I'm going to guess that was about a high water mark for a team that would finish, I think, 67 and 95. But even on a you know young team and a team that acquired him for uh, for power and you would think would have a real need to get him in there, uh, the Mets really didn't give Washington a chance to shed that platoon label he had acquired over the years. Uh, he effectively sat for either Henderson or Joel Youngblood against most right-handed starters and didn't have a lot of playing time as the Mets embarked on that West Coast road trip in which they would lose their first seven games, dropping to 27 and 35. So again, probably one game under 500 was the highlight of the 1980 season. Uh, But Washington did get a start uh, for only the third time on that road trip at Dodger Stadium against Dodger Dodger righty Dave Goltz. And oh boy, did he take advantage of it. The night was June 22nd, 1980, and Claudel Washington jumped out, helped the Mets jump out quickly, staking the Mets to an early 2-0 lead in the top of the first inning with a home run to dead center. He would strike out looking in the third, but came up again with the Mets then up 5-3 in the fifth inning, and he would once again take Goltz deep into right field at Dodger Stadium for his second home run of the game. And wouldn't you know it, in the seventh inning, this time against future Met pitching coach Charlie Huff, don't get me started on that, by the way, uh, Washington became, at that point, just the third Met in franchise history to hit three home runs in a game, following Jim Hickman and Dave Kingman when he took Huff deep to right for his third homer of the game. And Washington would actually get a crack at the historic, rarely done, never done by a Met fourth home run in the ninth inning, but perhaps as a measure of his, uh, you know, baseball discipline, he simply singled up the middle, uh, and he did steal second base to boot, giving him a four for five game, three runs scored, five RBIs, and a stolen base. Probably one of the best Met offensive stat lines that you would have seen in an individual game up to and through 1980. And I do remember reading the next day in the paper that it was, I remember reading that when it was noted that Washington was only the third player in MLB history to hit three homers in one game in both leagues. The other two, only Babe Ruth and Johnny Mize. Uh, It's probably not as exclusive a list now as players, uh, there's more player movement than ever before, but hearing a Met thrown out there with two legendary Hall of Fame names, sure, I was 
six, but it felt like something to have a Met noted for doing something positive. And, and possibly for the first time, but certainly not for the last, I got irrationally excited about a random Met and was convinced that the franchise had unearthed a gem. But yes, the Mets did fade fast and completed their fifth straight 90-plus 90 lo- 90 loss campaign. Uh, probably would have made it to eight straight into uh, into 1983 if the strike the following season didn't intervene. But Claudel really did his part. Uh, over 79 games as a Met, he hit 10 homers, 42 RBIs, 17 stolen bases, uh, slashed 275, 324, 465 slugging for 788 OPS and a 121 OPS plus, uh, which obviously it's a half season and he struggled in Chicago. But if you if you look at his numbers, that was the second highest mark of his career, actually, as far as OPS plus goes. As we'll discuss in his career wrap up, uh, he, he only put up a 0.1 war as a Met, according to Baseball Reference. Uh, that's a 1.5 offensive war, but negative 1.8 defensive, which is another story of his career as apparently it wasn't just the eye test that made him look like a poor defensive outfielder as his uh, his advanced stats are really drawn down by his defensive numbers over his career. The Mets were actually interested in re-signing Washington, seeing him as young enough to still be a viable piece when the proposed rebuild that Cashin was just beginning to engineer would turn the corner, uh, but Washington rejected a contract extension offer from the Mets, which turned out to be a pretty bright move when he signed a five-year deal with the Atlanta Braves for $3.5 million. Uh, newish Braves owner Ted Turner looking to make a splash, and it made Washington one of the highest paid players in baseball. Washington had a pretty successful five-and-a-half-year run with the Braves. I mean, it probably wasn't Best, best player in baseball, highest paid player in baseball caliber, but uh, he, he had, was very successful. He had a solid 1982 season with a team that would make the NLCS, uh, the last playoff appearance of his career. He had a great 1984 with a late in his career, career high 17 homers, and also made his second career and final all-star game that season. Uh, he actually came on, uh, took over from Daryl Strawberry in right field in at the All-Star Game and went one for two in the game itself. His time in Atlanta was also touched by drug use. He entered rehab in 1983 for cocaine use, and he also was implicated in the famous, infamous Pittsburgh cocaine trials that uh, Keith Hernandez and a lot of other 80 players were forced to testify in. Uh, Unlike players like Hernandez, he was able to avoid a suspension by donating a percentage of his salary that year. I'm pretty sure that was 85 just remembering from Keith, uh, donated part of his salary to a drug treatment program. More excitingly, Washington's time in Atlanta also gave him a chance to be an interesting pop culture footnote, as it was a June 5th, 1985 Braves-Cub game that was featured in Ferris Bueller's Day Off, and on the television in the pizzeria, it is Claudel Washington you see swinging and felling off a Lee Smith offering that produces the foul ball that Ferris snags just a few rows back from Steve Bartman territory down that left field line in Wrigley Field in the very notable movie. Washington would be with the Braves until June of 1986 when he was traded with Paul Zuvella to the New York Yankees for Ken Griffey Sr. and Andre Robertson as the Yankees were looking to 
uh, fortify their bench for a hopeful postseason run, but the Yankees would not be the New York team to make a postseason run that year. Washington did put up solid numbers as a Yankee from 86 to 89, in particular the 1988 season, uh, where he probably the last really impressive year of his season of his career at age 33. Uh, and in fact, in April 20th of that year, in a road game in Minnesota, Washington hit the 10,000th home run in Yankee franchise history. He also had two walk-off home runs in a span of three days for the Yankees late in the 88 season, one off of Walt Terrell, the subject of our last unformidable podcast, and another in an 18-inning marathon against the Tigers. Washington bounced back and forth between the California Angels in 89 and 90, and then got traded back to the Yankees to end up the 1990 season. Uh, He got released at the end of that season and retired. They usually save the stat lines to the end, but I already already threw the, the Mets stat line out there, but for his career... Uh, Over 17 major league seasons, Washington recorded 19.6 war, according to baseball reference. Uh, He had 1,884 career hits, uh, 164 home runs, 278 batting average, 325 on base, 420 slugging for a 745 OPS and a 106 OPS plus. He also had 312 career stolen bases. As I mentioned with his Mets season, though, if you look at his numbers, the discrepancy between offense and defense is pretty startling. Uh, On the offensive side of the ball, he was good for 26.5 war, according to baseball reference over his career, Uh, but the defensive metrics uh, give him a negative 13.1 over his career in the outfield. So, uh, you know, probably would be remembered by advanced stats more fondly had he DH'd all the time. I also often like looking at similarity scores, and when you look at his whole career, similar players were Alex Rios, Milky Cabrera, uh, Mark Kotze, Devon White. Now, and and I do, I hate, I think it's very unfair to label ballplayers, especially someone who had such a successful, impressive major league career as Claudel Washington as any kind of disappointment. Uh, but it is interesting to look when you look at similarity scores uh, from ages 21 to 25, the most similar player in baseball according to baseball reference, was Roberto Clemente. Um, So you can see why people looked at the talent and the way he produced at a young age and saw future Hall of Famer written all over him. Uh, As Met fans also sadly know with Dwight Gooden, that's not always the case, but sometimes you can't dwell on what could have been and you should really cherish and appreciate what was. And what was for Claudel Washington was an impressive Major League Baseball career uh, and a an unformidable season for me, for young me at least, with the New York Mets. Washington stayed out of baseball after his retirement. He ran a construction company in his hometown of Oakland, and aside from attending A's alumni events, really wasn't predominantly involved in the game, unlike so many former players. And he, as noted at the beginning, he sadly passed away in June of this year, of complications from prostate cancer, uh, leaving behind a wife and three children, and an impressive Major League Baseball journey. Thank you for taking the time to listen to Unformidable. Please go to AmazonAvenue.com for more Mets-related content. Follow Amazon Avenue on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can find this and all of our Amazon pods wherever you get your podcasts. Please subscribe, leave a review, really helps us out. Original music by Bunga. 
I'm on Twitter at Wolf, W-O-L-F-F-R-R, and the show is at Unformidable. Thank you, and as always, let's go Mets.